page 1192 in your Bibles in front of you, if you get a co- uh, that copy of that black Bible, you can follow along. Perhaps you have your own. We're in Hebrews chapter 11. We're looking at verse 7. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. So a simple verse, just, uh, just brief. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This is the word of God. Father, I pray you would give us attention to your word now and use it to challenge us, uh, perhaps to comfort us. Um, do whatever you will. By your spirit, we believe, uses this word, these very words of God, to equip us and to give us hope uh, and, and sometimes to convict us as well. So uh, do what needs to be done in our hearts with your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, so the title of this message is Walking with God No Matter What. Kind of got a picture of that already as Mark and Nietzsche were sharing for sure. There's a man named John Stott who was a pastor. Some of you may recognize that name. He, he died a few years ago. He pastored a church in London, wrote a lot of really great books back in the 70s and 80s and, and 90s as well. I actually had the chance to worship at his church one time when I happened to be in London. This is a quote from him. He says this, Nothing shuts the mouth, seals the lips, and ties the tongue like the secret poverty of our spiritual experience. This is a book he wrote about evangelism. Evangelism is a scary word for some people. It's a biblical word, though, that talks about sharing the good news of Christ. It literally means good news. But what we find is that some of us don't have the freedom to do that. And there's a whole host of reasons why that may be the case. What he's contending here is that your spiritual experience, if it's impoverished, is one of the greatest contributors to not sharing your faith. If you're not walking closely to God in richness, then what do you have to share with others? Maybe a dry or dusty experience from the past or something that you feel compelled to do simply because you have to. But when you are walking intimately with God, if you have a richness of your spiritual experience, then this flows out to others around you. That's basically what he's saying. Now, in our text today, we see somebody who did walk with God and had an intimate experience, an intimate encounter, an ongoing daily faith that he used to apply to the way that he lived his life. That's a person to know. We just read. Now, in 2 Peter 1, 5, or 2, 5, we read that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. You don't typically think of Noah uh, as a preacher, more as a carpenter who built an ark. But this text says in 2 Peter, he was a preacher of righteousness. He declared. What does a preacher do? Declares the good news. And he wasn't doing that in a church congregation at the time. He was doing it in daily life. He was sharing the message of God's goodness. He was an evangelist. His mouth was not shut. His lips were not sealed. His tongue was not tied. 
Like all these others in the book of Hebrews we're looking at in chapter 11, the words he said and the things he did flowed from a heart that was right with God. That's where it came from, from a life that was lived in communion with God. The end of this verse that we're looking at says, he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. There's some big words there. He became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. How was he made right with God? That's what righteousness means. It means more than that, but at least, at least that. How was he made right with God? By faith. And that's important, that phrase. Put in very simple terms, this is what it means. Noah was made right with God because of his belief in God. He was made right with God because of his belief in God. That's what made him right, by faith. He became an heir of righteousness. So an heir is somebody who inherits something. What do you do to earn an inheritance? Nothing. So when you get the email from maybe from Africa saying a long lost relative has $10 million in the bank for you and you can receive an inheritance, right? All you have to do is reply to the message and you get it. Now all of us want that. I think we figured out it's probably not true. The difference here is that this is true. This is an inheritance that's been paid for and kept in heaven for you. And the payment was by somebody else. That's what Hebrews is all about. If you look at Hebrews 10, there's somebody, a high priest, who became the sacrifice. And this is what Hebrews 11 is about. These people were looking forward to the one who would come and secure and seal the inheritance that was promised by God from all times. Jesus. He becomes, we sing about him. He's washed us with his blood. He's made us right with God. He's the great high priest who laid down his life, the Lamb of God. He has sealed the inheritance. It was paid for by him. Ours is but to believe in the work that he has done. That's what faith means. You become an heir of the righteousness. This is what set Paul free as well. And some of you know this verse in Romans chapter 117. For in the gospel, the good news, that's what gospel means, a righteousness from God, a right standing from God is revealed. How do you do that? How, does it, how do we get it? A righteousness that is by faith from first and then, then you start working it out, right? You receive it and then it doesn't apply anymore. It's not what the verse says. From first to last and everything in between, Hebrews 12, the author and the perfecter, the beginner and the finisher of our faith, Jesus. So this righteousness comes from him. And then it says the righteous will live by faith. If, in fact, you know that righteousness, it spills over into your life, and that's how you live. Your right standing with God is an inheritance being offered to you, purchased by his son. All other religions, I heard somebody say this week, are good advice. Only Christianity is good news. And that's why. Here's the good news. You cannot earn your right standing with God. And we desire to be made right with God. It's just in us. And Christ comes and says, I'm it. I've done it all. That's the good news. That's why evangelism is sharing the good news. Literally, gospel, good news. I share the good news. And that's what we're unpacking here as well. 
that Noah's identity then was found in God's love for him, not the other way around. Noah's identity, his sense of who he was, came from God's love expressed to him, not because he earned his way into a place where God said, now you're finally acceptable to me. Good job. You built a wonderful ark. Yeah, it's good enough. You're in. It's not how it went. God's love for him was sealed by a son. And so he lived by faith. And as a result, then, if you really understand that, what kind of life are you going to live? You're radically transformed by that message. If you take it in, it seeps into every part of who you are. And sometimes it may take longer to really begin to figure it out. And we're all in process. I mean, to hear Mark and Nietzsche who have said, we're retiring, we could live in a, in, a, in a nice house, but God's called us to go over here and, and say, we're still learning, we're fatter than we were. Emphasis on the T, more teachable. I mean, that's, it's a lifelong process. That's what living life by faith looks like. Everything is different. C.H. Spurgeon, some of you will be familiar with that name, a preacher from the past, put it this way. That is not what I meant to put up next because actually I'm not even there yet. So, looking at my notes, living by faith then, it's not simply a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle. You live by faith, that's different from those who don't. And that's why God's given us these examples. What does it look like? You know, so what? Well, here's some people to look at. It's interesting that in the Genesis account of Noah, when we first see him described, it's the same phrase that was used of Enoch last week. I have that up here. This is the account of Noah when we first meet him. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of the time, and he walked with God. What was the one thing we knew about Enoch? He walked with God. I love that phrase. It's such a great picture of what it means to be a person of faith. You walk with God. There's something very organic about it, but there's also something comprehensive about it as well. When I say organic, I mean it's not a formula. You know, went to church, check. Gave some money, check. I'm walking with God. That is part of it. But when you go home, you're still walking with God. When you go to work, you're still walking with God. When you go to school, still walking with God. You're playing tennis. You're still walking God with God in relationships you're walking with God I don't care what it is you are walking with God all of the time that's the sense that you get twice we've seen this as a summary statement of the life of faith so it's all encompassing even as a neighbor whatever it may be and Noah of course does something pretty extraordinary in this story he builds an ark and you're probably familiar with it it, it, Joe got a card some time ago. It was pretty funny. It was of two dinosaurs who maybe you've seen this card or something like that who are watching the ark float away and they say, oh, nuts, that was today. <laughs> it was pretty funny. But so you know, kind of know the story about how, how that all happens and he does something spectacular and it's great. However, that didn't happen in a vacuum. It's not like all of a sudden he just said, I'm going to do something ridiculous for God. He, it had been cultivated in him. He was walking with God. He was preparing him for that moment. This is what Spurgeon says. It's a great thing to have faith in the presence of a terrible trial. 
But the first essential thing is to have faith for ordinary, everyday consumption. Have you faith in God as to your daily bread? Have you faith as to your children and your house? Have you faith about your trade and business? Have you faith in the God of providence? Faith in the God who answers prayer? Is it habitual with you to roll your burden upon the Lord? If it is not so with you, what will you do when the floods break forth? Faith will not come to you all of a sudden in the dark of night if you've shut it out through all the bright days. Faith must be a constant tenant, not an occasional guest. I've heard of Latter-day Saints, and I do not think much of them. I far more admire everyday saints, he says. Here in Hebrews eleven seven, then we see some other highlighted realities of what does it mean to have a comprehensive walk with God. So just very, very briefly to cover each of these points. The first thing we see is by faith, Noah warned about things not yet seen. So we can say this, walking by faith requires trusting God with a future we can't see. You want to know what it looks like? Trusting God with a future. You can't, that's what this author is highlighting. What was great about his faith? Now faith involves things that are seen and unseen, of course. Uh, the Bible says there is a non-physical world that exists. There is a spiritual element to our lives. And that's true. And we even saw at the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth. We live in physical space. We have matter that exists. And faith takes into account the seen, but also the unseen as well. And there's a belief that God is bringing something about in his time, in his way, that we simply can't see right now. And that, to me, that's incredibly practical when it comes to what difference does it make. I mean, because what one of us, nobody knows what the future holds, but God does. So if you say, okay, the object of my faith is God, who's got everything, he's got this. No matter what happens around me, faith no matter what, I can trust in him for the future. I don't know what it holds. I'm not sure employment-wise or health-wise or anything. But I know there's a God who's there, and I'll find him. He's present. He's known. He's fixed. He's not going to change. His character is dependable, even when my circumstances do. So you've got to have something like that to have this robust faith that God has given us in the Bible. And that's the only way we could actually say the past couple of weeks, God has something bigger, better, and more beautiful planned. I just can't see it right now. But I have to trust that there is. And Noah was warned about things not yet seen. And faith, biblical faith, lives in that space a lot. It just does. And people in the Bible, these people in Hebrews 11, lived in that their entire lives. Everything they were looking forward to, the promise of God, some of it happened, but not all of it. It was waiting something in the future. They lived their whole lives. And some of these guys live hundreds of years and never saw it come about. Faith lives in that space a lot. So don't be surprised if you're struggling with this and you feel like, do I really have, you know, faith? I'm, I'm wrestling with this thing. So do they, but be encouraged and strengthened. You're not alone. By faith, no one warned about things not yet seen. So, okay, God's got this. So I sit around and do nothing, right? And just sit here and wait for God to do something. Is that how Noah lived? No. Obviously, we see the next thing. 
What did he do? In holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. So, the very basis, actually, for confidently doing whatever God has put in front of you is the fact that he's got this. <laughs> but there is something to do. And we see here three, three things. There's an attitude behind what he did in holy fear. That's the attitude. That's the motive. And this language of fear means taking God seriously. I mean, taken as a whole in the Old Testament, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of God. Taking God seriously. It's not the kind of cowering fear of somebody who's going to, uh, you know, slap you if you don't do what they want. But it's the deep reverential respect of someone who deserves it because of who they are. And you can think of people in your lives who are like that. And uh, now my, my son's cross-country coach comes to mind too. Nice guy. A great guy. Actually a man of, uh, of great faith. But you don't mess with the dude. He's nice, but you do what he says. <laughs> and it's not because you, you, he's mean. It's because he's, he's earned that kind of respect. He knows what he's talking about. And sometimes we can be very familiar with God and forget he's God. <laughs> In his presence, people die because he's so holy. And we can also do the opposite thing. We can think he's so, so unapproachable that we're not experiencing intimacy with him. So Christ comes and says, you know what? The veil, that temple that was built separating man from God is torn in two. You have immediate access into him. And we can sing a song that says, Abba, Father, a term of endearment. Come crawl into my lap. I'm near you. It's both and with God. We experience both things. We ought to. And here, Moses, or Moses, Noah, seemed to, seemed to come into that sense of, I'm motivated by a holy fear, a deep respect for the things of God. I am fearing God, caring about what he thinks, more than fearing man, caring about what others think. And I'll tell you what, that's, that's space that I am growing in a lot. And I think I will to the last day, until I die. Do I fear man more than God? Am I being motivated by my actions because of fear of man or because this is what God is? And when push comes to shove and I have a choice to make, where, where am I headed? Which, which, which direction am I going to go? So we're being pressed here by Noah because he does something pretty spectacular. No small thing for Noah in his days. Everyone was against him. The whole world in Genesis 6 was evil all the time, all their thoughts and actions. And here's one righteous man trying to do what God has told him to do. A lot of people were against him. In fact, everybody is. I've never ever experienced anything like that. I wore a Denver Broncos jersey at a Cincinnati Bengals game one time. And uh, it was rough. Beer was thrown at me. I was checked like I was in a, a hockey game several times too. And I, was, I, I did it a little intentionally to say, I wonder what it's like to be persecuted. <laughs> I mean, that's minor. I could rip off the jersey and it's done, you know. But here's somebody who's wearing this badge of faith and the entire culture is against him. He's not motivated by pleasing man, but by pleasing God. And there is an action. His attitude doesn't stop there. It leads to an action. What does he do? Builds an ark. One flows from the other. The motive leads to action. Noah, as a man of faith, did the task that God had put before him. And that may seem grand and glorious. The final product certainly was. Go down, you know, to Kentucky and see. 
a rendition of it. It was amazing. But getting there was not very glamorous. Behind that's a lot of sweat, a lot of very boring days <laughs> where he had to eat and go to the bathroom and settle fights with his kids and wonder what's happening next. I mean, check doing the weather forecast. I don't see any rain forecasted. And here I got a big arc. What is rain? Some people think rain hadn't even come on the earth yet. New categories that may or may not have, depending on your perspective, the text. The point is it was very earthy. He had a wife. He was doing his job. And there's only one story of an ark being built like this. You know how many Noahs there are in the world besides the ones named Noah in this congregation? But the actual person who lived during this time and built an ark, there's only one that I know of. There's only one Noah. And he stands as an example for sure of our faith. But he was faithful to the task God put in front of him. So the question, obviously, is what is your task? There's only one of you, too. And you may feel like, I wish I was Noah. I, no, you don't. <laughs> By the way, you are you. I mean, God has uniquely crafted a narrative in your life that is not mine. It's yours. And yours isn't mine either. And God's given me a task. And he's given us collectively a task as a people. But there's an individual aspect too. You know, philosophers talk about the one and the many. Anybody taking philosophy classes? There's this big dilemma between the one and the many. I mean, it all comes down to that, according to philosophers. You know, what, what about this one individual unit? But I'm attached to others. So what do you in the biblical faith, you see both. Trinity, one and many. But also in our task, I'm uniquely gifted. Paul says, I've given you a gift. Use what you have. So you think you're the left toenail of a foot. Be a great one. You know, that's okay. You wanted to be the handsome chiseled face. You know, but do, do the task I've got in front of you. One of the books that uh, one, of, one of my groups is reading I put it this way, by a rabbi who said, in the coming world, they will not ask me, why were you not Moses? Or why weren't you Noah? They'll ask me, why weren't you you, basically? Why weren't you Zeusia? Why weren't you Mark? Your task is not to be Noah. It's to be you <laughs> and to live in your space by faith. And Noah becomes an example of what that looks like for sure. Examine our motives but what is God moving us to do? What action has he put in front of us? And there's also a result here too. There's a result that comes about. He saved his family. He built an ark. He did his task. And it resulted in something pretty spectacular. And this is a story of deliverance, you know. He delivered all of humanity in general. A new start. Things that were waiting ahead that he was shaping, but his faith did in fact shape his family as well. He saved his family. They got into the ark. And I, I just say don't lose heart and give up. I mean, for those of you who maybe have extended family members who are older or younger than you and you feel like there's no hope, your faith matters. It may not look like it, but don't give up. Keep fighting the good fight of faith till the very end. You have no idea how you're influencing and impacting those 
who are, come after you. And what a difference it makes. I mean, I'm grateful for the legacy I have. I didn't see it. But, you know, when I became a follower of Christ and started asking questions of my family, I learned that my grandparents had been praying for me all the time. Me specifically. Make him a follower of Christ. And that was very, I didn't know that until years and years later. So don't give up. Certainly Noah is a great story of perseverance in that respect. His labor and faith is not in vain. His faith made a difference. And now we know there's plenty that Noah never saw come about. There were still things to come. So it's a story of deliverance. But it's also a story of condemnation. Maybe you caught that in the text. This is the part that's maybe hard to read. But he didn't just save his family. He also condemned the world. And he became, as we saw earlier, heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Living a life of faith is not always well received by others. <laughs> it just isn't. Because it says something. There's sort of a statement being made. And oftentimes it can be rejected. Who do you think you are? We sang a song last week that reflects the message of the Bible and of the cross. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. It's dumb. Why would I get on that ark? I can save myself. I've got a better way. You know? I got some floaties here. They'll save me when the tsunami hits. We think that. We believe that. A lot of us. It doesn't make sense. Nor does a life committed to it, some might say. But to those who are being saved, it's the wisdom of God. Being motivated by reverence for God. Acting in ways that line up with what he's revealed. Aiming to a life of moral integrity. Does in fact confront a world that rejects those premises and it may feel at times like we're going against the flow you know the flood waters are rising we're being tempted to waver that's true for anyone who's serious about living out this life of faith found in the bible in noah's day in our day and even when jesus was here and showed up and said here i am god in the flesh walking among you the perfect lamb of god so everybody who was walking with jesus had great faith right because he was right there. He could touch him. And man, this is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. We're, we're good. We're good. Peter was one guy who felt that more than anybody else. Brash and confident. And there's one scene in particular where Jesus is spending some time alone. And these fishermen go out in the water. And they're out in a, in a boat. And here's, here's how that scene unfolds. Uh, Peter sees uh, Jesus. And there's some waves all around. And he says, Lord, if, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down, out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And that's the right thing to say <laughs> when you're sinking. Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? You read a text like this and know, say, I want to have a faith like that, but my faith seems small. That's not a bad place to be. What you have to do then is this, Jesus is the one who's saving you. I mean, it's not about your faith then, right? Ultimately, it's about the object of your faith, Jesus. That's who we're grasping for. Your faith feels weak, 
Absolutely. Jesus himself presses them and says, you've got a little faith. You can grow in this. But what he seems to be saying is, I got this. You know, you, you feel like you don't know what's happening. I got this. I was overwhelmed last week with prayer requests, great prayer requests from everybody. But the heaviness and the weightiness of what people are wrestling with, people who are inside even the household of God, some maybe who, who aren't. Life is hard. It's challenging. Does faith make a difference? Yes, it does. Absolutely it does. And part of the way it's designed is for us to acknowledge that. I was grateful for those requests, but I'm thinking we just need to be coming before God honestly. You know, I started with that quote about sp spiritual experience and the poverty of it. Part of how you cultivate that is, is uh, walking with God and talking with God. You know, walks with me and he talks with me, <laughs> right? Along the way, I want to encourage you to be honest and quick to run to God and even to be able to say, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. There are things in your life that seem overwhelming. And a person who has a life of faith, you're struggling with the same things that people who don't have faith struggle with. It's the human experience. The difference is where are you going with it? And how are you processing that? My gramps, who I mentioned was a prisoner of war for 18 months in Germany, was shot down as a B-17 bomber that he flew. His, uh, his pilot was shot and killed right next to him. And he flew, got out of the cockpit and pulled a parachute and landed in the middle of a field. It was picked up by a couple of uh, Germans who had guns and marched to a place where he was a prisoner of war for 18 months. And I asked him, he doesn't, he's, he's opened up a little bit more about the experience. By the end of the war, he was eating grass soup and his troops were, uh, or his, everybody who he was with was set free by uh, General Patton's army who marched in. Can you imagine that day when you're, when you're set free and here come the supplies and the troops? And I said, Gramps, were you a person of faith during that time? And he said, no, but I wish I was. I wish I was. I wish I knew. I wish I knew I had somebody with me. I wish I could have been praying. I wish I could have had the hope that no matter what happens, I'm, I, I, God's got this. He didn't have that. He says, I wish I, wish I did. I wish I had it. We're going to celebrate communion, and we're going to do it a little bit differently.